I realize that everybody prays. Do you realize everybody prays? I don't care if they're Christians or not. They pray. I don't care. I mean, fact is, is that I read an article that says that even atheists pray. I don't know who they're praying to, but I, they say they pray. Another certain percentage of them pray. But what I fail to recognize when I put this sermon together is, is that prayer is really on the foundation that you have a relationship through Jesus Christ with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what I realize is, is that not everybody has that foundation because not everybody is trusted in Christ. And for me to believe that just simply because you showed up, you have that foundation is a little bit crazy. I mean, because I can imagine as we have in our world today, there's people that are Democrats showing up at Republican rallies and Republicans showing up at Democrat rallies. And they don't have to be one or the other. They just simply are showing up. And if I can believe that, I can believe that there's people that show up at church and they do not have the foundation of Jesus Christ. We have to have that foundation of Jesus Christ. But then there are those things that we need to recognize about prayer. If you have that foundation of Jesus Christ, and if you have that foundation, you know, there's two principles I'm going to bring out. One of them I have on the screen, and one of them I don't have on the screen, because I just overlooked it. I'm just telling you the truth. But first, we need to recognize that prayer is an act of the heart. It is an act of the heart. It is not an act of simply the way that we, we do it. Just, and I think that what happens so often is, is that we're trying to tell people how to pray. And we're not telling them really where the prayer really needs to come from. It needs to come from the heart. But the second principle, which I don't have on your notes today, but I wish you'd write down somewhere, is that God will not answer your prayers if it violates who he is. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is, is that if your prayer is going to go against who God really is, God is not going to answer that prayer. And so what we find here is, is that we have some things that are going to violate who he is if he were to answer our prayers. And you're wondering sometimes after you prayed, you're saying, why didn't God answer my prayer? And the answer is very simply, You were praying in such a way that it would violate who God is. Understand that. God is going to remain the same. He's immutable. That means he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says that of Christ, but it is of God too. God the Father too. And what we find is in this is that God's not changing. So when I bring these things out, I don't want you to think of this as a negative sermon because it's going to say you're doing these things and you're doing the wrong thing. What it's intended to be is it's going to be a positive sermon. You're going to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to make sure I'm in this position when I go and I pray to God. And let's see what God does with your prayers then. First thing I'll bring out is God refuses to listen when we try to manipulate him. You recognize that? We're trying to manipulate God. That's basically what I've seen a lot of prayer books. Not all of them are wrong. I'm not trying to say that. But I've seen a lot of prayer books. And they talk about the position you need to be in, the posture you need to have. And and, and let let me say it this way. You're never going to be able to pull the wool over God's eyes. In other words, you're not going to be able to say, I'm going to say this prayer in such a way that I'm going to fool you so that you'll answer my prayer. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And when you're praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think 
that they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The concept here is, is that they believe that by the repetition of prayers, or these words, then God would relent and say, okay, I'll give it to you if you'll just shut up now. Understand? This is what's going on. And I, I watched a, a video, and their people were thinking that the, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, came and, at Acts because they continued to say the Lord's Prayer. And that's exactly what this scripture says. That's not what prayer should be. It's exactly just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. It's not what prayer should be. You see, if we believe that we can make God do something through repetitions or saying the right words or doing some kind of magic, then what we are doing is we're saying that God doesn't even know what's best for us. We know, we're saying that God, you don't know. We know better than you know, and we can force you into giving us what we know that we need, and you don't know it. You see, we think that we can speak things into existence, and we cannot do so. We can't name it. We can't claim it. We can't just go out there and say this is what we want. So what we're saying is, is that if we can, we can manipulate God, then we can go beyond the knowledge of God to get what we really want. But it says here that God knows what we need. He already knows what we need. It's not about the repetition. You're not informing God. You're not telling God, oh God, you know, please, you don't know what I need here, but I really need this, and I'm giving you some information. What we're saying here is, is that when we really pray a matter of the heart, you know what God wants us to do? Join Him. Join Him. It's our need, but He already knows it. Join Him in what He is going to give us. He already knows Think of it. What love would a parent have? A parent. If that parent said to the child, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going into the candy store and I'm going to let you eat as much candy as you can hold within you. We're going to stay in that candy store and I'm going to continue to buy that candy and you're going to do it. And, and you know, and the parent says, and guess what? I'm going to do it too. And we're going to go in there and eat the candy. What kind of parent would that be? What kind of parent would it be that just because of the screaming of the child always gave the child what the child wanted? Now, I know there's some parents like that. Well, what is the problem with that? It's like we're allowing them sometimes to harm themselves, and we don't want to harm them. And God doesn't want to harm us. And so God knows what we really need, and he will not be manipulated into giving us what we really need. Secondly, God refuses to listen when we're full of pride. We're full of pride. Now, not all pride is bad. I want you to hear that up front. You should be proud of your children. Do you understand? You should be proud of a job well done. You should be proud of your church. Tell you the truth, you should be proud of your church. You should be proud of maybe other things. Maybe your, maybe your city, your state, or your, your country. All of those kinds of things are good pride. But pride becomes bad when we put ourselves in the very center of the world. And we start saying, this is me, I am, everybody should come and fall at my feet. Pride is bad when it's all about us. 
And what we're doing when we have the kind of pride like that is we're saying, I want more glory than what you got, God. And God is opposed to that. It says in James chapter 4, verse 6, But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, when you text in caps, what does that mean? You're yelling. (laughs) This was put in caps. I didn't put it in caps. It was in caps in the scripture because it's a, it's a quote in, in, in reality. But the fact is, is that it should hit us right in the face. Because when we go to God in prayer, are we asking for something that we deserve? No. We're asking for his grace. We're asking him to give us something that we did not deserve and do not deserve. And so it's a gift or it isn't grace. But it says here that God is opposed to the proud. Opposed. This means that he sets himself up against the proud. The, uh, the uh, saint of uh, the, uh, the, the 18th and 19th century, Adam Clark, says that God sets himself in battle array against the proud. Now think about that. I'm going to tell you what, folks. You go to battle with God, I can tell you right now. I'm going to bet against you because it ain't betting anymore because you're not going to win. You understand that? In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, it says, Now, for this is what the high and exalted one who lives forever, forever, whose name is holy, says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What it's saying there, God meets with us willingly when we are humble and contrite. When we're humble, he meets with us willingly. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The father did not chase the son. He let him leave. He let him go off into that far country. He let him live it up. He didn't do any of those things. But when the son came back, what did it take for him to get the robe, the ring, the sandals, and the, and the party that was afterwards? He came back humble and contrite. You realize the story that is there. All of those things could have been his. All the, the, the ring, the sandals, uh, the robe, and even the party could have already been his if he had come back humble and contrite earlier. And so... We find out we must be a humble people, for he is opposed to the proud. Third, God refuses to listen to, your, to our prayers when we neglect the poor. And see, the poor, many of the poor, I should say, are in need of our assistance. One of the great things that a lot of people need is Jesus, whether they're poor or not. But the poor may need food. And we show them the love of Jesus when we're feeding them. And how could we show the love of Jesus if we didn't? Proverbs 21.13 says, One who shuts his ear to the outcry of the poor will also call out himself and not be answered. We've got to have a heart for the poor. Now, many years ago, our church decided to distribute food. And give food to the people that are, that are poor. They don't have the money to buy the food. 
then what happened there was is that we decided not to do rent payments, not to do utility payments, not to do uh, you know car payments and all of those kinds of things because we just said we got to focus on something. I have been in churches that did the other things. They did house payments, car uh, rent payments, all of that. We could help then three or four people a month. But what we do here with food is we help hundreds of people even every week. You understand there's a difference between the two. See, God has a plan to bring people to himself. And God's plan for many of the poor is to realize the love of Jesus by those people that are that are church people, that are people that are walking with the Lord to help supply their needs. God is supplying their needs through us. Now, if you think that that's not what God should do, remember this on a spiritual level. When you were poor in spirit, in other words, your spirit was absolutely dead, unable to make a relate, to have a relationship with God, without able to even talk to God, and you were in your sins opposed to God, he sent somebody to you. It may have been your parents, it may have been an evangelist, it may have been your friend, but he sent somebody to you to tell you the story of Jesus Christ and for you to be saved. So you were poor at one time. And as poor as you can get when you don't know the Lord. And he sent somebody to you. And he does that with food with us. I ask you, are some of the people that we are helping abusing the system? The answer is absolutely. You really need to know that. But here's the situation. If you continue to make excuses for those that are abusing the system, you will never help anybody. That's really the way that it really is. It would be nice to say that everybody that gets the food that we distribute needs the food that we distribute. But that would be crazy for us to even believe this. Now, this very Tuesday, you're saying, well, what can I do? This very Tuesday, we uh, help people from 11 to 1 o'clock on Tuesdays. This very Tuesday, we are five people down Five people that are not going to be here. Now, I want you to hear this. It is an incredible job to distribute the food when you have 80 cars that have each one representing a family and you have to distribute that food to each one of those uh, cars, those people that are in those cars. You have to get information. You got to know how much, how many is the family. You got to distribute the food uh, correctly and you got to do all of this kind of stuff. It's got to be packaged up. It's got to be put in their cars. It takes a number of people to do this and we When you are five people down, that's a lot. That's a lot. And they need some help this Tuesday. If you want to do something that's going to help the poor, you can show up 11 o'clock on Tuesday and you'll find that there's a lot to be done and that we really, really need you. So you help people. And maybe you can't do the food pantry. Who do you help? The ones that God leads you to. You know, it, the, to me, this is like the undercover boss story. You remember the, the, I don't know if it's still on, but, you know, the undercover boss, he'd get a job at the, own, the company that he owns. And then he'd watch the employees and how they acted. And those that didn't act so good, they got the boot. And those uh, that acted really good, this is where they got rewarded. But well, you have to realize there's never a place that we can go that God is not there. You realize that undercover boss is with you all the time? And we need to recognize that if we're going to have our prayers answered, we need to be a part of what God is doing. 
and, and helping the poor is what well, is a part of what God is doing. Number four, God will not listen to the prayers of the disobedient. No, you're disobedient. You're not walking with him. Do you understand? You can't walk with God and be disobedient at the same time. Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You see, God's commands are not suggestions. They're not optional when God says, you know, you, you, you think you might kind of want to. He doesn't do that. That's not the way that it works. And we aren't able to refuse what he tells us to do without consequences. See, uh, disobedience here is refusing to listen or to obey the law, failing to keep the law. And the prayers of the disobedient are an abomination. That's pretty strong words there. See, the prayers will not reflect the will of God. You're not walking with God. You can't reflect the will of God. In fact, the prayers will be against the will of God. Uh, Let me say it to you uh, that I know plainly. Uh, Let's say I'm playing football. Uh, Something that's passed me many years ago, but I say I'm playing football. Quarterback calls play, and I'm supposed to get the ball. I'm supposed to, he's going to throw me the ball, but I don't like that play. I decide I'm going to do something else. And so what happens? He can't throw me the ball because I haven't run the play Do you realize when we get in the will of God, we put ourselves in a position where God can be well pleased to answer our prayers. And when we are going off on our own, God has to violate who he is to answer our prayers. And he will not do that. Number five, God will not listen to our prayers when we keep sins close to our hearts. Here's what the scripture says. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. As if I have a sin that I haven't dealt with. I mean, that doesn't mean you, you haven't been convicted. You're convicted of that sin, but you, 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 you didn't repent. You didn't confess that sin. And, and maybe, you, maybe you say, but I don't practice that sin anymore. Well, let me say this to you. It isn't that you don't, you don't lose your salvation with your sin. You understand that. You don't lose your salvation. And you don't, you know, I want to say that you still know the Lord, but you're going to know him as a, at a distance because you need to be cleansed from all of the unrighteousness. There's an estrangement between you and God. You're still going to heaven. But there's an estrangement between you and God. That's why so many times I hear people say, I know the Lord, but the Lord doesn't speak to me. Well, how could he? You're, not, you're so far away from him because you've got these sins that are there that you've never confessed. You've, you've, got, you've, you've essentially embraced them because you, maybe you're not even doing them anymore, but you've embraced them by not telling the Lord what you've done. And so you have an unfaithfulness that you need to rectify. You need to get it, get it straight. Now, think of it this way. You, let's say you and your spouse. What you did, maybe the guy went out and spent something expensive. Maybe he bought a, a golf club. I'm just going to throw that out there. Maybe he bought an expensive golf club. Or maybe a lady did it and she bought some incredible earrings. I mean, but they're very expensive. Now they have the money. That's not the issue. But when they're asked about the charge, they make up a lie about it. Even though the other person knows what they really did. Do you understand? It's not about the money. It's not about, you know, how much you got. And that. There will be a distance between you and your spouse until you make that right. It doesn't mean they don't forgive you. 
But there will always be a distance because why? How can they trust you if you have lied and you will not admit that you have lied? And so you can't really have a close relationship with the Lord until that is confessed before the Lord. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it does God's heart good when his people come to him and say, Lord, I did this and I repent of it. I am sorry. It's a big statement there. Because, you see, we can't have our prayers answered if we don't confess because we can't be led by him. Six, God refuses to listen to our prayers when we have meaningless worship. Now, this is going to hit some of you hard. I'm going to say it to you in the way that I really understand it. But let's read the scripture first. Isaiah 1, 11. What are your many sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle, and I take no pleasure in the uh, blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courtyards? Do you... Do do not go on bringing your worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the proclamation of an assembly. I cannot endure wrongdoing and the festive assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered with blood. Now, here's the story. Especially religious people, but all people love rituals. They love rituals. They love going through those rituals. But they get so caught up in the ritual that they think it's the treasure let me tell you some things that I've heard. And I, I mean, just you realize that people have told me the way that we ought to dress at church. We ought to dress in a certain way because that's what, you know, they were taught. And what they say is they have equival, uh, equivocated that with worship. And when you look around, you realize that people are dressed very differently. And many of them can worship in a pair of shorts, even though, you know, I don't wear shorts here. But the thing about it is, is that they could worship as much in a pair of shorts as a person that's dressed up in a three-piece suit. You realize it's not about the ritual. It's not about the, it's not about the vessel. It's about the treasure that's on the inside that we worship. And when we worship the, the, the vessel, the vessel... You have to realize we are having meaningless worship when we worship the song and not the the person that the song is about. We have worshiped the vessel and not the treasure that is on the inside of that song. God is not interested in rituals that ignore sin. 
And what we do so often is we claim ourselves to be more righteous because we can do that ritual better than anybody else. And our hearts are not right before him. That means right in in front of him. And yet they're not righteous before him either. And he is not impressed with rituals. He doesn't care how many guns you shoot off. He doesn't care how many horns that you blow. He doesn't care how many times the preacher gets up and says the words that you know that he must say. He doesn't care about any of that if it's not this act of the, of the heart. An act that it says that I worship you, Lord. I don't worship the building. I don't worship the church. I don't worship the preacher. I worship you, Lord. And so you find that he, 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 he answers the prayers not by the ritual, but by the heart that, that worships the treasure. Samuel uh, went to Saul because Saul had not been obedient to the Lord. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel said, Does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Do you answer that question? The ritual? Does God have that? As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as, uh, is re- reprehensible as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as reprehensible as the false religion and idolatry. Since you have rejected the word of the Lord, he's also rejected you from being king. He, got, he lost his kingdom because of it. So you can't be about the ritual. You must be about the Lord himself. Seventh. God will not listen to our prayers when we are selfish. <laughs> James 4.3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your, your... You spend what you request on your pleasures. God wants what's good for you and for others. And selfishness is neither good for you or others. And uh, we sometimes underestimate the love of God. He loves us so much that he would not allow the things that he would give us to corrupt us. He will not allow us to be corrupted. But, and these things may corrupt us in the way that we're doing. You know, when we had the opioid crisis, what was going on? Doctors were prescribing opioids to people. Why was that? Because the people were demanding that they get those opioids. Do you understand what was going on there? And so the doctor's understanding that it is easier to write the script than it was to listen to the, uh, the crying and complaining. They wrote, the, the, they wrote them. And the pharmacies filled them. That's exactly what happened. In fact, I was on opioids for so long because of my back pain, I had to have a drug test. Did you understand? Now, here's the thing about when you get the drug test. Just tell you this. This is what a, a drug salesman told me. If I had the opioids in my blood, they think that I'm addicted. If I don't have them in my blood, you know what they think? They think I'm selling them. And so it didn't really matter on that. I came, I came back and I, I was able to get them because I wasn't addicted. But that was the way it was. You see, if we won't allow people to have opioids because they're screaming for it, why would God do that for, for us if we're screaming for this, something that is going to hurt us in the first place? Now, God knows everything. He knows what is good for you. He knows what you need. And therefore, he gives you what he needs. So he's not going to feed our selfishness. Lastly, God will not listen to our prayers if we lack faith. 
James 1 5 says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. See, people think that faith is what they wish for. It is not. Faith is based on evidence. I want to say this to you. And we have historical evidence. Every archaeological find supports what the scripture says. I could say it in other ways. A lot of people want to say it. No archaeological find has ever told us, uh, found anything that, uh, against what Scripture says. But this is the case. In fact, as when I was over in Israel several years ago, they found the seat of Pontius Pilate. There were people saying Pontius Pilate didn't live because we didn't find it. We didn't find him anywhere. Well, they found the seat carved in stone that was there at Caesarea, the seat that was reserved for him. So they kind of went, oh, well, maybe he did live. Yeah, that's the case. We have biblical evidence. There are biblical records that have many prayers that were answered. Elijah's prayers, for example. He prayed, prayed for three and a half years that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't rain. And it, it happened that way. But he did it because of evidence. And then we have personal evidence. Personal evidence is where God speaks to you. Do you understand that? God is speaking to you. Let me tell you one really, really short story. And I've told you before, but it just was so profound. I was at the hospital in uh, Nashville. Praying for the grandson of one of our members who had an inoperable brain tumor. And so I was there and I walked into the room and there was a bunch of people there. And you know what? They were all charismatics. They were there to pray for this child. And I was afraid that my prayers would seem so puny before these people who really knew how to praise God. And so I kind of kept myself pretty silent. It was one of, in the moment, a moment that I was there that the Lord spoke to me so clearly. And he said, get these people together and lead them in prayer. And I said, no. And I went and I literally went to the corner of the room. Not one minute after that happened, the grandmother opens that door and looked around the room, saw me. She walked straight up to me and said, I was in the prayer room and God told me to tell you to get these people together and pray for this, my grandson. Well, you know what? I did it. I think it was because I was more scared of that grandmother than I was of the Lord. But the truth is I did it. And I knew that was the right thing. I have personal evidence of who he is. So when you pray, seek a word from the Lord. I'm going to talk about that in another sermon soon. For God will not allow one of his promises to fall. Do you have something on your heart? You see, I'd say pray right now. In your heart, pray. Lord, give me the faith to see what I can't see. And then examine yourself and say, Lord, is there any reason that you would not listen to my prayer? That is how prayer is answered. Would you pray with me?